Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Grace Church at Franklin Services here on Arno Road. We're located at 4052 Arno Road, 4052, here in Franklin, Tennessee. We're only about 15, 20 minutes south of Nashville. I'd like to welcome all of you to our services here today, and we want to welcome those who are watching by the internet. We are on YouTube, Ustream, and sermon audio video. If you're ever in the Nashville area, please come out and worship with us here at Grace Church. We have classes that begin at 10, and our worship services are uh, from 10.45 to 12, sometimes 12.02 or 12.03, but not too much past that. Good to have all of you. The Bible says in Psalm 100, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. All ye lands serve the Lord with gladness, come before his presence with singing, enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. And we're going to begin our worship service today praising the Lord. Brother Joshua Waltz has been gone for a couple of weeks. He and his family, or some of his family, are probably passing it around with three small children. We're so glad to have Joshua back today. Let's give him a big welcome, okay? Thank you all so much. Thanks for your prayers. Yes, we have been passing stuff around. Um, it is Look and Live in your hymnal. Let's see, what is my number on that? What's the number on that, Miss Sue, in the hymnal? 195. 195. I'm just especially glad to see Elder Turner back. That's who we really, that's what we really need to praise the Lord for. 195 in the hymnal. I'm a message from the Lord, hallelujah. A message unto you I'll give. Tis recorded in his word, hallelujah. It is only that you look and live, look and live, my brother, live, look to Jesus now and live, tis recorded in his word, hallelujah, it is only that you look and live, I've a message full of love, hallelujah, a message, oh my friend, for you. A message from above, hallelujah. Jesus said it, and I know tis true. Look and live, my brother, live. Look to Jesus now and live. Tis recorded in his word, hallelujah. It is only that you look and live. Life is offered unto you. soul shall have if you'll only look to me hallelujah look to Jesus who alone can say look and live my brother live look to Jesus now and live tis recorded in his word hallelujah it is only that you Name. Uh-huh. 
Good morning. I want to add my welcome to that of the pastors and Josh to say we're glad to see all of you here today at the services of Grace Church and also for those of you that are watching via the internet. We want to mention a few prayer requests this morning and ask the Lord would cause you to lift them up before him as they come to your mind this week. Uh, as Josh said, we're certainly glad to have Elder Turner back here with us, and it was a, a rough time for him, but the Lord has been gracious in sustaining him, and as he gets his strength back, uh, we, we look forward to him uh, being his usual self. So let's continue to pray for that. <clears throat> Becky Smith sent a letter to the church that I'd like to read. It says, Dear Grace Church family, with sincere gratitude and appreciation, thanks for all the calls, texts, and prayers for Nate when he dislocated his knee. He is doing well and is now wearing a bendable knee brace. Also, this July 4th, Nate celebrated nine years hydrocephalus and free and shunt free. So we certainly want to praise the Lord for that. <clears throat> We also want to continue to remember Brother Moran. I believe he's traveling back from Minneapolis today. Oh, he is home? Okay. So we're thankful that the Lord gave him safe travels. We want to continue to lift up Wally Haddon. He's still in an assisted living facility. Uh, he is eating well, uh, but Mary said he's had no other improvements in his condition otherwise. <clears throat> Mary, as you can might imagine, is a little downcast, but otherwise she's doing well. So we thank the Lord and ask him to continue to minister to their needs. <clears throat> Tabitha, or Tabitha excuse me, Montgomery sent me a text or email. She's requesting prayers for her grandson, Vinnie Cocker. As many of you know, Vinnie has uh, autism, and we've prayed for him in the past. He's going to have surgery this uh, 21st, Thursday the 21st. He walks on his toes, as many autistic uh, children do, and as a result, his Achilles tendon has grown too short, and now he is physically unable to stand flat-footed. So they're going to clip the tendon in both legs. They're going to put a cast on it, <clears throat> going to try to stretch it out. And then after he's in a cast for three weeks, he's got to transition to a boot for a few weeks. And then after that, he's going to have to wear braces. So she asked that the Lord wrap his arms and healing around uh, Vinny and uh, asked that you would continue to lift him up before the Lord. She also wanted to let all of you know that she loves you, prays for you, and is thinking about you often. So let's continue to remember Tabetha. We also want to remember Carl and Ruby Perry, who are both doing well. Ruby is scheduled for surgery on the 28th at Centennial in Nashville, and she expects it to be a short procedure, so we pray that it might be effectual to, to cure what's going on with her. Calvin is home and recovering from this broken femur fracture that he has suffered from a bicycle accident. He's doing extremely well and seems to only have to have pain medication after physical therapy, which is not uncommon, so let's continue to remember him. And he says the... Children are meeting all of their needs, so we're thankful for, for them and their ministry as well and pray that the Lord might continue to be with them. We want to remember Bob Castle. He is improving and hopefully is close to being over uh, this last bout of illness, so we continue to lift him up before the Lord. 
We want to continue to remember Beth Moran's niece, Laura Jackson, as the cancer has now spread to her entire body, basically, and her brain. We ask the Lord to be merciful to her, and if it pleases him to rid her of this cancer. Continue to remember Cheryl Cothran's 41-year-old son, Josh, who lives in Georgia and is having uh, some severe heart problems. I want to continue to remember my niece's one-year-old son, Grayson. You know that we've prayed for him because he's had a number of seizures here lately. He continues to run fevers on and off, uh, which results in seizure activity. And every time they go to the Vanderbilt Hospital, they, they say he's got another virus. I'm not sure how many different viruses you can have every week or a few days, but uh, we just ask that the Lord might give wisdom into what's going on there. <clears throat> we also continue to remember Marie Dalton, uh, Gladys Alquist and her son, Carolyn Bad, as well as Paul Osborne and his wife, Diane. And we want to also continue to remember Howie as he both serves in the military and he continues his college ambitions. So let's continue to remember him. <clears throat> we all want to remind you that if you want to support the ministry of Grace Church, we do have an offering box located on the round table in the foyer. And just ask that you put your tithes and offerings in there. <clears throat> Is any other prayer request that you'd like to mention briefly? Carl and Dolores Clark. All right, let's continue to remember them before the Lord. <clears throat> All right, Josh is going to come up and lead us in some more singing. Okay, everybody. <clears throat> Stand by me. Uh, this is a... I think you all will probably remember this. It's an older song. It's not in our hymnal, so it's just a chorus, but uh, we've got them up on these screens. So if you don't know it, just try to listen and then join in on the second verse or so. <clears throat> when the storms of life are raging, stand by me. When the storms of life are raging, stand by me. When the world is tossing me like a ship upon the sea, Thou who rulest wind and water, stand by me. In the midst of tribulation, stand by me. In the midst of tribulation, stand by me. When the hosts of hell assail and my strength begins to fail, Thou who never lost a battle, stand by me. In the midst of faults and failures, stand by me. In the midst of faults and failures, stand by me. When I do the best I can And my friends misunderstand Thou who knowest all about me Stand by me In the midst of persecution Stand by me In the midst of persecution Stand by me when my foes in battle array Undertake to stop my way Thou who saved Paul and Silas Stand by me When I'm growing old and feeble Stand by me 
When I'm growing old and feeble, stand by me. When my life becomes a burden and I'm nearing chilly Jordan, oh thou lily of the valley, stand by me. Probably most of you know this, but I don't know if you didn't catch that. What's, what does Jordan, what does that word mean? The Jordan River means judgment, right? <clears throat> when I'm nearing chilly Jordan, O thou lily of the valley. Who's the lily of the valley? Who has conquered our judgment? The lily of the valley, our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that good? He stands by us. Amen. Let's see here. Pastor, it's, it's 11 o'clock. Do you all want to go ahead and do... <clears throat> You know, I came up in the, in the time and the day and the age when uh, visitation and all of that was a big deal in the church. Some of you may be old enough to remember that. Most churches uh, had visitation teams You go out and knock on doors and invite people or try to uh, get a profession of faith out of people or something of that nature. And we don't do that here. We've never done that. But one thing I would like to encourage you to do is to maybe set yourself a goal and at least invite one person a week. That's seven days, 24-hour days, 12-hour days, 12-hour nights. See if you can't pray about it and ask the Lord to give you one person you can invite. You don't have to get them in the corner, try to squeeze a profession of faith out of them or get them to sign a card or anything like that, but just say, we'd like to come out. Uh, we'd like for you to come out with me. I'll pick you up. I'll meet you somewhere. I'll go in with you. In this generation, when they show te on television, they show everybody laughing and smiling and happy. And it's actually the opposite. People are very removed and estranged from people. It's difficult. I walked in Kroger yesterday, and there was a, a lady in there, and she worked for Kroger. And uh, she had my way blocked where I was going to get some bread, so I didn't say anything to her. I just went around and came around the other way, and I said, how you doing? I said, you doing okay today? I said, well, glad to meet you too. I mean, I have never seen the beat of people. You can't get a smile, and I'm not really, you know, that outgoing. I am when I'm here teaching and preaching. I have to be, but I'm not that much of an outgoing person. And uh, so I try to speak to people every once in a while. So set yourself a goal. Let me challenge you to set yourself a goal and to try to invite one person, just one person a week. And if you pray about it, the Lord will lead you somebody Somebody might be a friend, might be a family member, might be a husband, wife, or a kid. It might be somebody you just run into. But just pray about that, would you? And uh, let's, let's try to do that. Now, this morning, we asked Joshua if he would do probably our favorite song, and we're going to ask him to sing it. Lynn and I will do the best we can to try to help out with it. Woke, woke up this morning feeling fine. Would you stand up together? Do we have that up there on the board? Yeah, um, can we put feeling mighty fine up there, guys? And we'll kick it off and get it started, and, and then y'all can join in when we get the words up there. <laughs> I think so. 
She asked me if I was sure. We've all been sick, so uh, it's good to say I woke up this morning feeling fine. That's the first time I've seen Miss Lynn. Hello, how are you? I'm good. <laughs> all right. Let's see if we can remember the words. I don't even have my book up here. Well, I woke up this morning feeling fine. I woke up with heaven on my mind. I woke up with joy in my soul. Cause I knew my Lord had control. Well, I knew I was walking in the light. Cause I'd been on my knees in the night. And I prayed to the Lord to give me sight. And now I'm feeling mighty fine. Well, I'm feeling mighty fine. I've got heaven on my mind. Oh, don't you know? I want to go where the milk and honey flows. There's a light that always shines down inside this heart of mine. I've got heaven. Heaven on my mind, and I'm feeling mighty fine. Take off, Sue. Let's help Sue out. Come on, you can have a clap your hands if you want to. We're walking with Jesus all the time. We're walking and talking as we climb. We're traveling with his eternal life. And we know we'll live when we die. He's been telling me all about that land. And he tells me that everything is grand. And he says that a home will be mine. Here we go. So now I'm feeling mighty fine. Sing with us. Well, I'm feeling mighty fine. I've got heaven on my mind. Oh, don't you know? I want to go where the milk and honey flows. There's a light that always shines down inside this heart of mine. I've got heaven, heaven on my mind. And I'm feeling mighty. Let's do that chorus again. Well, I'm feeling mighty fine. I've got heaven on my mind. Oh, don't you know? I want to go where the milk and honey flows. There's a light that always shines down inside this heart of mine. I've got heaven. Heaven on my mind, so I'm feeling. Well, well, how are we feeling? Are we feeling? We kind of did that. So I'm feeling, I'm feeling fine. We're feeling fine. He knows all that. Well, we can't. We got to do it the way the Sattler brothers do. Just remain standing, if you will. Okay. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 41.
Church in Franklin, we like to begin our worship services by appealing to the Lord to help us, to help you understand and help me in the lesson that he's given me to bring to you today. Before we sing, though, I want us to give the Lord praise for bringing back Brother Turner. Let's praise the Lord for that. That's all right, sure. Just keep going here. Brother Turner had pneumonia, a very bad case of it. And he's back today. Also, Shirley Murphy has been ill. Shirley's here today. So we praise the Lord for Shirley, too. And Lynn and I are thanking the Lord every day for bringing us out of what we have. Many of the rest of you have gone through this, that, and the other. I don't think we're going to see the last of the coronavirus or the various variants of it. So be careful. You should still wash your hands and keep your distance and maybe elbow and stick out a fist or something. Before we open God's Word, let's ask Him to help us this morning. Father, I stretch my hand to thee, no other help I know. If I withdraw myself from thee, whither shall I Glad to see all of you today, and we welcome all who are viewing the services by the internet. Genesis chapter 41, verse 1, it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed. After two years, two years Joseph, an extra two years of his ordeal, been in prison for at least two years, and Pharaoh had a dream. I don't know if he just dreamed every two years or didn't have a dream at all, but he had one here that troubled him. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word and let God's people say, praise the Lord and you may be seated. Now, for the sake of visitors, I usually review the lesson, and I'm going to do that again, the last lesson that we had, because I know some of you are saying, well, my goodness, we've heard that many times. Well, repetition is the art of learning. So I'm going to repeat, repeat, repeat. We're going on 2,200 years since the Lord was here and there are people who still don't know anything about the gospel and about the truth. In our last study, we considered unanswered prayer and the will of God. And I titled today's study, Seven Lessons. 
In our last study, we learned that the Lord may not answer prayer when we offer it up. He may not offer it when we want it. He may not uh, uh, answer it, rather, when we want it. He may not answer it in the way we want it, at the time we want it. We saw that one of the main purposes of prayer is to bring the person who is praying in line with the will of God. Put it simply, it is not our will that must be done, but it is the will of our Father in heaven. Why would we pray for our will to be done if we know that His will must be set aside for that to happen? So we learned from 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14 that requests and petitions must be according to His will, to be answered. The best example that I can think of is found in John 11. You don't have to turn over there unless you want to, but that's the chapter that tells us about the two sisters, Mary and Martha, and their brother Lazarus, who was ill, who was sick. And the Bible says in verse 3 of John 11 that Martha... And Mary sent a message to Jesus. And this is what the message said. Lord, he whom thou lovest is sick. And then we are told in verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha. He had loved her sister Mary. And he loved Lazarus. And yet we are told in verse 6 that when Jesus heard that he was sick, He remained where he was for two more days. What was the prayer for Martha and Mary? What was their prayer? That the Lord would come and heal their brother of his sickness. But what was the will of God? The will of God was that Lazarus be allowed to die of the sickness. We read in John chapter 11, verse 7, When Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the grave for four days. So Lazarus died, he was buried, his body was at the point of decomposition before Jesus came to it. And then in verse 39, read Martha's response to Jesus' command to open the grave. Jesus went to the grave and said, take away the stone. Open the grave, and this is what Martha said, Lord, by this time he is stinking, for he has been dead for four days. One translation has it, there'll be a bad smell, Lord. Another has it, Lord, there must be a stench by now because he's been dead for four days. But notice four biblical facts about that little story about Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. Number one, there can be no doubt that Jesus loved Lazarus and Martha and Mary because the Bible says it. The Bible says Jesus loved them. I read it to you. Fact number two, there can be no doubt what the will of Martha and Mary was. They wanted their brother who was sick to be healed of his sickness. And they knew the Lord could do it. Fact number three, there can be no doubt that there was a conflict of wills. There was a conflict between the will of the Lord and the will of Martha and Mary. And fact number four, there can be no doubt whose will was done. Whose will was done. 
After all, and I want you to think about this, because we have a lot of well-meaning, but I believe erroneous, sincere, dedicated people today who believe that the Lord will heal you every time you ask him. And after all, if the Lord made us well, every time we ask him to do so, we would never die. Every time I thought I was leaving, I'd say, okay, Lord, time to come back. That's what we all would do. We would never die. These bodies would never die if he made us well every time we ask him. Now, the burden of the last study was, can we trust the Lord when his will is not done? Can we bow to his will when we don't get ours? Joseph is certainly an example of one whose will was continuously frustrated for 13 years from the age of 17 until he was delivered from prison at the age of 30. He had every right to be frustrated, to be angry, and even to be depressed. And yet he continued to do the right thing and to do his best in every situation, though his outward condition continued to worsen. He's gone from the comfort of his family to the filth and degradation of an Egyptian prison, all for doing the right thing. So because Joseph showed himself a man of honesty and integrity and diligence, he was put in prison. And also, for the same reasons, he was put in charge of the prisoners. You can read in Genesis 39, verse 22, that Joseph was in charge of the prisoners in that particular section of the prison. And we know from already from chapter 40 that he found himself joined by two men, two very important men, the chief baker and the chief butler, or the cupbearer of the pharaoh. This is all recorded in the first four verses of Genesis chapter 40. They both had mysterious dreams, which troubled them, but Joseph interpreted those dreams, and Joseph made a simple request of the chief butler, or the cupbearer, put in a good word for me with the Pharaoh. But when the chief butler was restored to Pharaoh's service, we read in verse 23 of chapter 40, he never gave Joseph another thought he forgot all about it. So that brings us to chapter 41. Now here's a brief outline of chapter 41, and I'll repeat these later. In the first seven verses of chapter 41, you have the dreaming of Pharaoh. We just read verse 1, that Pharaoh had a dream. So two years after Joseph said to the cupbearer, when you get out in three days, Remember me to the Pharaoh. And uh, the Pharaoh did, uh, the, the cupbearer did not remember Joseph. He forgot all about him. So two years later, Pharaoh has a dream. And you read about that in the first seven verses, the dreaming of Pharaoh. Then you have the demeaning of the sages and the wise men and the magicians. Verse 8, Pharaoh called all of his wise men and his, and his magicians and uh, 
the sorcerers and all of these uh, charlatans, and he said, tell me about this dream, what it means, and they couldn't do it. And then we read about the scheming of the butler, verses 9 through 13. When he heard that Pharaoh had a dream, he said, oh yeah, by the way. (laughs) By the way, I don't know how it slipped my mind, but somehow or another I forgot about it, but there was a guy, and there was a man in prison with me. And I had a dream, and the baker had a dream, and he said the baker would be hanged, and I would be restored, and it came to pass just like he said it. He said, I'm, I, I'm sorry, I just forgot about it. No, what he was doing was scheming. He was bringing up something that would put him in even a better stead with the Pharaoh. And that's verses 9 through 13. And then in verses 14 through 32, after they call Joseph out, he gives Pharaoh an interpretation of his dream, the meaning of Pharaoh's dreams, verses 14 through 32. And then we have the interceding counsel of Joseph, verses 33 through 36. Joseph not only interpreted the dreams, he said seven bad years of seven good years are coming, and then they're going to be followed by seven bad years, and this is what I would do, sir. And he gave the Pharaoh a whole plan of what to do during the seven bad years. So that was his interceding counsel to the Pharaoh, verses 33 through 46. And then we have in verses 37 through 44, the acclaiming of Joseph as prime minister. He's taken out of prison and he's made the prime minister or the governor of Egypt. Then in verses 45 and 50 through 52, the marriage of Joseph. And then in verses 46 through 49 and 53 through 57, something about the ministry of Joseph as the governor of Egypt. Now that's what chapter 41 is all about. The dreaming of the Pharaoh, the demeaning of the sages, wise men, and magicians, the scheming of the chief butler, the meaning of Pharaoh's dreams, the interceding counsel of Joseph, the acclaiming of Joseph as prime minister, the marriage of Joseph, and the ministry of Joseph as governor. Now, all I want to do this morning is begin. I may not get through today, but I'm going to begin. And I want to give you seven lessons to consider. I want to introduce chapter 41 by bringing you seven facts for you to consider. Some of these facts will not be new to you. But don't just put them aside because you've heard them before. The first one is this. The first lesson is this, that the Lord is the God of history. He is the God of history. All of the writers of Scripture, though they do call out to men and women to reverence the Lord, to serve the Lord, to come to the Lord, they teach us that the Lord himself is responsible for the events of history. And what I want you to understand is that when you believe in a sovereign God, when you believe really in your heart of hearts that God 
is in charge of history. This is why I bring this up so often. Number one, because this is a major doctrine of Scripture. A major doctrine of Scripture is that God is in charge of history. The second reason I bring it up so often is it is a test of true and saving faith. When Brother Turner was ill with pneumonia, who was he trusting? Was he saying, Lord, you let me down here. I've had years of health and all of a sudden I got pneumonia. Where are you? No, he was trusting the Lord. Shirley Murphy, trusting the Lord. Bob Castle, trusting the Lord. Ruby Perry, trusting the Lord. They're trusting the Lord even though things went backwards, even though their stock went down, even though the sun's not shining, even though they can barely draw a breath, they're trusting the Lord. Trusting the Lord. And this is the third reason I bring this up so often. First, it's a major doctrine. Secondly, it is a test of true and saving faith. If you can't trust the Lord when things are going backwards, if you can't trust the Lord when your stock is down, if you can't trust the Lord when you're sick and ill, if you can't trust the Lord when he hasn't answered your prayer like you think it should be answered, I doubt you have any saving faith. You might have faith, but you don't have saving faith. A scripture tells us in John chapter 2 that many believed in Jesus when they saw the things that he did, but Jesus did not commit himself unto them. So the reason I bring this up, number one, is because it's a major doctrine of scripture. Number two, because it's a test of true and saving faith. And number three, it will grant you hope and encouragement when everything else seems wrong. What was the hope of Brother Turner and Shirley and what is the hope of Ruby Perry right now and Bob Castle? While they're still sick, it is that the Lord is in charge. He knows what he's doing. My affliction doesn't mean he doesn't love me. We just read in John chapter 11, now Jesus loved Martha and Mary and, her, and their brother Lazarus just because Lazarus was afflicted, just because Jesus didn't come when they called for him, just because Lazarus died, that doesn't mean that Jesus loves him any less. Let me tell you this, my friends. The saints in heaven may have reason to be happier but they're no more loved than the saints on earth. You need to remember that. Just because you're afflicted, just because you're sick, doesn't mean the Lord doesn't love you. He loved Lazarus. He loved Martha. He loved Mary. But the will of God was something different, and it was for the greater glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Over and over and over again, we are told by the writers of Scripture when something happens and the Lord did it. There's no praise for Mother Nature or Father Time. In today's world, it seems the only time the Lord is called upon is because of sickness or death, death or to perhaps get gain, like rolling the dice. But in this generation, the attitude is the Lord has nothing to do with anything or anyone in this world. 
And Lord, if we need you, we'll let you know. Until then, you just go ahead and do what you're doing, and we're going to go ahead and do what we're doing. We don't really need to hear anything about God and His Son and His Spirit and certainly not His will. And that is not the testimony of the writers of Scripture. I I repeat this all the time because when you are ill, when you are sick, when you have lost, when your relatives are ill, when you have a bad financial situation, when you have coronavirus or some other bacterial infection or you have pneumonia as Brother Turner had, when you have all of that, nothing will sustain you like saying, Father, I know that you love me and you're working out something for my good and for your glory. Nothing will sustain you like that. After all, what if you say, well, Lord, where are you? Have you gone on a vacation? Are you too busy to see about me? Where are you? What's happening here? No, that's no comfort. The comfort comes from knowing you have a God who's on the throne, who is the God of history, who's controlling your history for your good and for his glory. I tell you this, the Lord knows how to get our attention. He knows how to do that. The story of Joseph attests to the truth of the absolute sovereignty of God in history over all things. Let me just remind you by asking you a few questions. Who gave Joseph his dreams when he was 17 years old? The dreams that really predicted and contained in a nutshell what his future would be. Who used the jealousy of his brothers to move forward the plan and purpose of God for Joseph? Who brought the Ishmaelites along to get him to Egypt? Who brought Potiphar to a certain slave market on a certain day and moved him to buy Joseph? Who allowed Joseph to be severely tested by the wife of Potiphar to move him uh, to the king's prison? Who put the king's butler and the king's baker into the very same section of the prison as Joseph? Who gave the butler and the baker their dreams? Who gave Joseph the interpretation of those dreams? Who gave Pharaoh his dreams? The Lord did. Who gave Joseph the interpretation of those dreams? The same Lord that gave Pharaoh the dreams. It is the hand of the Lord that moves the entire story of Joseph along. All of these events and hundreds more cannot be attributed to luck or to blind fate. Now, I might spend a lot more time showing you how that men and the devil and the depravity of man and all of this was at work to overturn and to frustrate the will of God, but to no avail. His will was done. Let me ask you this question. Why did God send his son? Well, you say he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever considered this? How did he get him to the cross? How did he get him to the cross? You see, if Jesus had been thrown off a cliff, as they tried to do several times, we couldn't claim him as our Savior. He must die in a certain way. He must die on the cross. 
He must die freely. He must die willingly. He said himself in John's Gospel, chapter 10, This commandment have I received of my Father. I laid down my life freely. No man takes it from me. I lay it down of myself. So even the Romans and the Jews who wanted him dead, they were not the real reason behind his death. It was the, it was the will of the Father in heaven who sent him to die on the cross for us. So how did he get him to the cross? Well, in spite of the wickedness of Herod, who would have murdered Jesus while he was yet a helpless babe, in spite of the Jews, in spite of Judas, in spite of Pontius Pilate, in spite of the Romans, and in spite of the devil himself, the sovereign hand of God moved the purpose and plan of heaven right along, and his plan and purpose is moving right along today in 2022. And I tell you, the Lord is in complete control of history. Lesson number two. The will of the Lord cannot be hastened or delayed. Now, there are certain schools of eschatology. You know, that's the word eschatological eschatology. It has to do with prophecy. And people are real big today on prophecy. You got premillennial people, you got split millennial people, you got our millennial people, you got postmillennial people. Millennium comes from Revelation chapter 20. It means uh, a thousand years. It comes from a word that means a thousand years. And so people say, well, he's going to come. I remember in 1988, I still have the book, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Come in 1988. Still have the book. But earlier than that, in the 1800s, there was a fellow named William Miller. And he said he had calculated the coming of the Lord. And people sold their lands, they sold their houses, they gave away everything they had, and they got up on the top of buildings to wait the coming of the Lord. And when the sun set that day, William Miller said, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, I made a mistake, I need to recalculate. And so he recalculated for just a little while later, and still the Lord did not come. And those people, sadly, they gave away everything they had. They gave away the inheritance for their children, they gave away their houses and their lands and all of those things, and the Lord has not come. Sometimes we need to do a study of the word quickly in the book of Revelation. That's a bad interpretation where the Lord says, Behold, I come quickly. It is a word that means soon. And it's like maybe, maybe you have a wife and you say, Honey, are you almost ready? She said, I'll be ready soon. What does that mean? That means in the next 24 hours. I should be ready. Okay? You might say to somebody, I'll see you soon. Well, that might be an insult. <laughs> I might not ever see you again. Won't be too, too soon. The word is soon. It's been over 2,000 years, and it's still soon because it means imminent. It means that the Lord could come. There's nothing else that we know that has to happen for him to come. And secondly, we are to live our lives daily because if we leave this world today, that's certainly a second coming of the Lord for us, isn't it? The Bible says don't, leave, don't live your lives a month at a time or a year at a time. Live your life a day at a time. 
The Bible speaks of the days of the years of our lives. The only moment of which I am assured is this present moment. This present moment. That's the only moment that I am assured of. I can't plan on what I'm going to do even a day away or a few hours away because I don't know what the future is. As Bill Gaither wrote in one of his hymns, I don't know the future, but I know who holds the future. And as Solomon says in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, everything that happens in this world happens at a time that God chooses. He sets the time for birth. He sets the time for death. He sets the time for love. He sets the time for hatred. He sets the time for kissing. He sets the time for not kissing. He says everything that happens in this world happens at the time God chooses. And the coming of the Lord, this is my point. My point is the will of the Lord can't be hastened and it can't be delayed. So I started out talking about eschatology, prophecy. There are people today who believe that we can, we can make the coming of the Lord come a lot quicker if we'll do certain things. Maybe preach the gospel more. Maybe spread the gospel all over the world, whatever. I believe the gospel has been spread all over the world. I can't take this morning's time to tell you how, but I believe the gospel has been spread all over the world. I believe that every man in this world and every woman in this world is never taken out of this world without light from the Lord. And if you want more information on this thing of Ecclesiastes, I taught the entire book years ago, verse by verse, and you could request those studies and listen to them. But here's the point I want to make to you. All things are working on the Lord's time table. When Jesus said, I'm coming soon, it's been 2,000 years, and it's still, I'm coming soon. It's still soon. There's been no delay in his plans. The problem is with men who think they can say when the Lord's coming. Even though Jesus said, no man knows the day or the hour when the Son of Man cometh. I want you to know that the coming of the Lord, the plan of the Lord, the purpose of the Lord cannot be hastened. We can't speed it up, nor can we delay it, nor can we change it, nor can we overthrow it. This is a great mystery which none of us can understand except through faith. For example, let me give you a practical example. Joseph suffered at least 11 years under Potiphar and then another two years in prison before the Lord moved on his behalf on Pharaoh to give him a dream. Add to this the years he suffered at the hands of his envious brothers. And then I ask you this question, why all this delay? Why all of this delay? Why couldn't the Lord have delivered Joseph years earlier? Why didn't he deliver him years earlier? Well, one reason is to teach us that all things are ordered as he pleases. We are on his time schedule for reasons unknown to us. All we can say is the Lord is working out his purpose according to his eternal will. 
asks this question. When did the Lord save Saul of Tarsus? We know him as the Apostle Paul. Well, Paul answers that question in Galatians 1.15. He said, when it pleased God. Well, here's the question. How long will Israel be blinded? Romans 11.25 says, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. When did God send his son into the world? Why didn't he send him a thousand years earlier? Why didn't he send him in 2022? Galatians 4 verse 4 says, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son. On a more practical level, the events in Joseph's life were delayed to teach Joseph all he needed to know. Now, what do you mean by that? Well, from his father, he learned of the true and the living God. From his brothers, he learned of the depravity of the human heart. From his many adverse circumstances, he learned how to trust the Lord and to wait upon him. From the Egyptians, he learned the customs and language of Egypt. And to prepare a wife for Joseph, the daughters of the priest of On must have time to grow up. You read in chapter 41 that the Pharaoh gave Joseph a wife who was the daughter of the priest of On. Do you realize that Joseph had a Gentile bride? You realize that Joseph is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you realize that for 2,000 years, the great, greater majority of the people who make up the bride of Christ have been Gentiles? Right now, many Jews are coming to believe that Jesus is Messiah, but most of the people who make up the bride of Christ in the last 2,000 years are Gentiles. Half of Israel was Gentile. But we'll go into that another day. Number three, lesson number three. This is what the Lord teaches us. The Lord is faithful. The Lord is faithful. Everything the Lord revealed to Joseph through his dreams, all the promises and the predictions that he made will be kept to the letter and not one word will fail. When Solomon dedicated the temple, we read in 1 Kings chapter 8, this is part of what Solomon said. It said, he knelt down on his knees and he lifted up his hands to heaven and he prayed and praised the Lord. Then it said, he got up from kneeling and he stood and blessed all the congregation of Israel with a loud voice. And this is what he said, blessed be the Lord that has given rest unto his people Israel according to all he promised. There hath not one word failed of all his good promise, which he promised by the hand of Moses, his servant. That's in 1 Kings chapter 8. My dear friends, men may forget you, but the Lord does not. The chief butler forgot Joseph, but the Lord did not. And a valuable lesson we learn from this is that delay, when you're praying to the Lord and you ask him for things, delay doesn't mean denial. It doesn't mean he's denied you. We have to learn that the providence of God 
moves slowly but surely. Peter warns us not to mistake a delay for a denial. This is what Peter says. Let me read it to you. Second Peter chapter 3. He said, There will come in the last days scoffers, scoffers walking in their own lust and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? Since our grandfathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. You keep saying Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. You've been saying Jesus was coming for 2,000 years and everything just keeps on rolling along like it's always been. Let me tell you, all of this mess that we're seeing today on television, all these protests, all of this spitting into the face of God speaks of the unbelief of this generation. You can't possibly say, I'm going to do what I want to do. And at the same time say, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter goes on to say this, but beloved, don't be ignorant of this one thing. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to us. Things may move too slow for us, but the Almighty God is not on our time schedule. Here's another reason he delays things. Here's another reason it doesn't move too quickly. It leaves the ungodly without excuse. They have plenty of time. They can't say they didn't know. They can't say that they didn't have time to seek the Lord. They can't say that they didn't hear somewhere or somehow the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Peter says this in 2 Peter 2.9, The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. Lesson number four. The Lord does things as he does them, to show himself to his people, that is, those who believe on his Son, and to hide himself and his will from the world. No one would have dreamed that God Almighty sent a 17-year-old lad into Egypt as a slave to save Egypt, to save the family of Jacob, to keep his promise to Abraham, to fulfill his eternal purpose on earth. And in like manner, no one would have imagined that God would send his own son into the world through a poor young woman like Mary and her espoused husband, Joseph. Two people that had no prestige, no importance, no influence, but God sent his son into the world in that manner to save his people from their sins. The Egyptians were very superstitious of dreams, so the Lord used dreams. Joseph, however, knew the truth about dreams. It's not the dream one should be enthralled with, but the God who sends them. And when Pharaoh's sages and wise men could not interpret the dream, and you have your Bible open to Genesis 41, Look there at verse 8. It came to pass in the morning that Pharaoh's spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all the wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dream. 
but there was none that could interpret them unto Pharaoh. At least Pharaoh told him his dream. Nebuchadnezzar called his wise men in, and uh, he said, I've had a dream, and I want to know what it means. And they said, well, tell us the dream. He said, oh, no, 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 no. He said, you're trying to stall for time. He said, if you really are a fortune teller, you can tell me what my dream was. And if you don't tell me what my dream is, I'm going to make your houses a dunghill. That's what he said. And he said, I'm going to have you driven through with a spear from a beam from your own house. I'm going to put you out of business. But Pharaoh, at least, he told him his dream. And he said, tell me what it means. And nobody could do that. No one could interpret his dream. But you see, he revealed it to Joseph. Joseph represents the believer. He represents the people of God. Not only does he represent Christ, he represents the believer. He represents the one who trusts in the Lord, the one who says, I'm going to wait on God. It's not very pleasant for me right now. I don't like what's going on in my life. It's been going on now for, for 13 years, but I'm going to trust the Lord. And that's what we have to do. And the Egyptians, they were very superstitious about their dreams, but Joseph interpreted them because the Lord gave him the interpretation. When Joseph was exalted, his God was exalted. Now I want you to notice something. Look at verses 15 and 16 in Genesis chapter 41. Verses 15 and 16. This is what we learned from these verses. At least this is one lesson we learned. Joseph couldn't be moved by flattery. Verse 15, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've dreamed a dream. There's none that can interpret it. I've heard say of you that you can understand the dream. He's bragging on Joseph. I've heard you can understand the dream. Joseph said, no, it's not in me. Verse 16. It's not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. You see, he can't be moved by flattery. And in verse 16, we learn another lesson. Joseph would receive no praise for his ability to interpret the dream. He says it is God who gives the interpretation of dreams. I don't know any more than you do, Mr. Pharaoh, but I know a God who does. And I want you to notice in these three verses, I'm going to point it out to you, that Joseph doesn't attribute history to chance, to luck, to father time, to mother nature, to circumstances, to intelligence, but to the sovereign God. Look at verse 25. Genesis chapter 41 and verse 25. Joseph said the dream of Pharaoh is one. God hath showed Pharaoh what he is about to do. He said, God is doing this, Mr. Pharaoh. This is not luck. You haven't been lucky or unlucky. It is God who is about to do something. And I say to you today, God's about to do something in this world, and he's about to do something specifically in these United States. I just don't believe he's going to allow the, the world to continue to spit in his face much longer. He's long-suffering. Verse 28, look at verse 28. This is the thing which I have spoken unto Pharaoh, what God is about to do, he shows the Pharaoh. Verse 32, 
32. And for that the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh twice, it is because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. You see how he, 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 he gives all the credit to the Lord. He said, what's about, well, wait a minute now, what do you mean, Joseph? You mean the seven good years that are coming, I can see God in that, I can see the Lord in that, but following that is going to be coming seven bad years of famine where people are going to be starving to death. Yes, he said the Lord's going to bring that too. But he's going to tell you how to prepare for those seven bad years in the seven good years. Let's compare this world here to the seven good years. Things are good now. You're doing all right. You're doing fine. You're alive. Whatever your situation is, you're doing just fine. But there's coming a time. There's coming a time when the hand of God will be manifest in a way not seen in a long time in this nation. And then there will come a time beyond that when one day all human beings that were ever born will stand before the Lord. And they'll be divided as the wheat and the tares and the foolish and the wise and the sheep and the goats, the believers and the unbelievers. And that will be a time, a terrifying time, for those who have not believed the Lord. That'll be a terrifying time. But see, right now, he's given us plenty of time to prepare for that time. The way to prepare is seek the Lord now while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. You can't, you can't be wrong seeking the Lord. You may feel you're not getting an answer. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. He said, to him that knocks, it shall be opened. To him that asks, it shall be given. To him who seeks, he said, he'll find. I believe him. And if it's important enough for you, you'll keep seeking. You'll keep asking. You'll keep knocking. Be like the apostles who when the Lord Jesus said, no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me, draw him and I'll raise him up at the last day. And he said, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. That upset him. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me, draw him. That's what he said. And then he repeated it again in the 65th verse of that chapter. I believe that's John chapter 6. But he repeated again, Therefore I said I unto you that no man can come unto me except the Father who has sent me draw him. And then he turned to his twelve disciples, his three apostles, and he said, Would you also go away? And you know what they said? They said, To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we're sure that you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, you are the Son of the living God. My dear friends, if I die today, I'm going to die calling on the Lord. If I die today, I'm going to die believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. If I die today, I'm going to die looking to him as my salvation and as my Savior. That's the way to live your life, calling on the Lord. Not marking it by how much you get, when you call on him, but calling on the Lord and seeking him for his name's sake. Joseph couldn't be moved by flattery. Joseph would receive no praise for his ability to interpret dreams. 
And Joseph does not attribute anything to chance, luck, father time, mother nature, circumstances, or intelligence, but to the sovereign God. Joseph says that God controls the weather, that God controls the crops, that God controls the animals, that God controls history, and that God controls the fate of nations. He says very plainly in verses 25 and 28, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. And then he says in verse 32, this thing is established by God, and he's going to shortly bring it to pass. I'll tell you this, you'll never be able to convince this world of the truthfulness of God or his word, but the Lord can. Only the Lord can make a believer out of an unbeliever. To his people, we don't need an explanation, and to the world, they don't want an explanation. And so the Lord does things as he does them to show himself to his people and to hide himself and his will from the world. Now, I'm going to leave you with this. This is just uh, lesson number four. We'll pick it up next week. But I'd like for you to turn, if you will, to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11. In the New Testament, Matthew chapter 11. And let me show you something that the Lord Jesus said. No doubt many of you have seen these verses many times. Matthew chapter 11. The Lord says some pretty tough things in this chapter. And uh, he says uh, that uh, John the Baptist, he says, was God's messenger. It says in verse 12, Matthew chapter 11, verse 12, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. John is the end of the prophets of the Old Testament. Okay? All the prophets and the law up to John. And he says here, that the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And what this means is, it means that men become violent over seeking the Lord. This is spiritual violence. We're seeking the Lord. We're like Jacob, who when God wrestled with him and said, let me go for the day breaks. And Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I won't let you go unless you bless me. That's violence. That's spiritual violence. Do you have to have the Lord? Do you have to know him? Do you have to have his blessing? Then you keep seeking him. And notice now, he says, whereunto, verse 16, whereunto shall I liken this generation? It's like children sitting in the markets and calling to their friends and saying, we have piped unto you and you haven't danced. We've played some some up-tempo songs, and we've tried to get you to tap your foot, we've tried to get you to dance, we've tried to get you to be happy, and then we mourned unto you, verse 17, and you haven't wept, you haven't lamented, you haven't felt sorry. We've done everything to you. John the Baptist came saying, how would you generation of vipers escape the damnation of hell? That's where John came. The Lord Jesus came healing people, raising the dead, receiving the children unto himself. Suffer the little children to come unto me, for such is of the kingdom of heaven. The Lord Jesus came 
reaching out to people. John the Baptist said, how in the world are you going to escape hell, you generation of vipers? This is the happy and the sad music here. And then he says, he says, John, verse 18, neither came eating nor drinking, and they said, he has a devil, verse 18. The son of man, verse 19, he came eating and drinking. What was Jesus' first miracle? It was turning the water to wine at a wedding. Turned the water to wine at a wedding. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And they say, here's a man that's a glutton and a wine bibber and a friend of publicans and sinners. So he said, John came in one way, I came in another way. We've, we've given you happy things, we've given you, we've warned you of the justice of God. And then verse 20, he began to upbraid the cities where most of his mighty works were done because they did not repent. Woe unto thee, Chorazin, verse 21. Woe unto thee, Bethsaida. If the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. He said if Tyre and Sidon, which were destroyed, utterly destroyed, he said if they had heard the message you've heard, if they had seen the person you've seen, which is the Messiah, the Son of God, he said they would have repented if they had seen it, but they didn't see it. But he said, you have, and you haven't repented. It'll be more tolerable, verse 22, for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. Then he goes on upbraiding them. And then he says this about everything he has said. Verse 25. Verse 25. I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hid these things from the wise and the prudent. You've hidden these things from those who think they're wise, who think they're prudent, who think they're smart. They think they know, they, they know. They think they've got it figured out. They don't humble themselves to you and, and say, teach me, O Lord. You've hidden these things from the proud and the wise and the prudent, and you've revealed them unto babes, even so, Father, but so it seems good in thy sight. How do we get to know the Lord? Well, verse 26, verse 27, all things are delivered unto me of my Father. No man knows the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father, but the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. The only way you can know God is through the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only way you can know the Lord Jesus Christ is if the Spirit of the Lord reveals him to you. My dear friends, the Lord does things the way he does them to reveal things to his children and to hide them from the unbeliever. The unbeliever, these people that are marching in the streets, I mean, how confused are we today? We want to abort babies, and we want to spare criminals that ought to be executed. How confused are we? These criminals that have killed 15, 20, 25 people, what are they going to get? They're going to get a lifetime in prison, three meals a day, television, and a set of weights that they can exercise with. And then sometimes I sent them to, sentence them to three lifetimes. That can't possibly be justice because you, you don't have three lifetimes. You don't have but one. 
The scripture does teach that criminals worthy of death should be executed. The scripture teaches that. And it's not the governor that executes them. It's not the person that pulls the switch that executes them. It's not the person that gives them the shot. If that's what it is that executes them, it is God who executes them. And he uses the government to do it. And he warns us in the scripture that if the government will not carry out the law, God will bring judgment on the government. And we're having a time now where the President of the United States is not willing to say, listen, I don't like this last ruling of the Supreme Court, Roe v. Wade, I don't like that. But in the United States, this is the way we establish law. The highest court in the land now has ruled on this, and this is the law, and we're going to enforce it. No, President Biden is saying, well, we don't like the law. We're going to try to find every way we can to get around it, get under it, and get somewhere around it. Uh, that's, that's where we are. We're confused. We're in confusion. And if men think that God will allow this to continue, they are sorely mistaken. Sorely mistaken. My dear friends, the story of Joseph is a wonderful, wonderful story that teaches us that the Lord is in control. He teaches us that you can't hasten his program and you can't delay it. He's teaching us that he shows us how to trust him. He gives us time to prepare for the sad times that are coming, even if you don't want to take what I said today about the judgment out there in the front, let me just tell you this. At my age, I can tell you that I have a lot less time ahead of me than I have behind me. And most of you do too. And it doesn't mean you're going to live to be 70 and 80 and 90. It doesn't mean that at all. I'm at an age now, I turn over the review appeal and I read the obituary. And I read it for two or three reasons. One, I read it to see if there's anybody I know in Franklin who's passed away. And some of you will remember this. Brother Foster and Linda, Linda Blankenship, Shirley, some of you, Brother Turner. About a few months ago, uh, Miss Amonette, you remember, you remember Austin Amonette? His mother passed away, and that was in the paper. I was looking at the obituaries, and I said, my goodness, I want to told them. I said, Kathy Amonette has passed away. And then just about a few weeks ago, I looked in there, and Richard Amonette, her husband, had passed away. And yet, Lynn and I are still here. Brother Turner, you're still here. Brother Foster, you're still here. Shirley, Linda and Linda, all of us still here. But they're gone. They're gone out into eternity. And some of them, Kathy and Richard, did make a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. My dear friends, we have adequate time to prepare. That's what this teaches us. And the Lord does what he does in a way to reveal his hand and his will to his people and to hide it from the unbelieving world. They don't have a clue what's going on. As I said a few weeks ago, let's stand together. As I said a few weeks ago, the Bible, there were like 200 prophecies that were fulfilled 
in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of them was that he would be crucified. Another was that his cloak would be gambled for. Another was that a sword would be plunged into his side. Uh, all kinds of prophecies. And when those people around that cross were doing those things, they didn't have the foggiest idea that they were fulfilling Scripture that had been recorded a thousand years, fifteen hundred years before that. And when I look at the newspaper today and when I watch the news, I see people fulfilling what God says. He says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And eight people were saved. He says, as it was in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Sodom and Gomorrah were homosexual cities. And now we're seeing an advancement of LGBTQ and whatever else they'll add to it, I don't know. And I don't say that in a bad way. I feel sorry for these people, sorry for them. I want them to come know the Lord. The only thing that will stop any of us in our wild career is if the Lord has mercy on us, gets a hold of us, interrupts our course. And that's true. I mean, you don't have to be a, a homosexual to be under the judgment of God. You can be a nice, clean, law-keeping person. John chapter 3 and verse 36 says, If you have not believed on the Son of God, that you are under the wrath of the Lord. Let's reach out to these people. Let's pray for them. Let's have mercy upon them. Let's tell them the gospel. Let's pray that the Lord will be pleased to turn our generation and make this, which could be the worst generation in history, make it the most evangelistic generation in history. I challenge you again. Invite someone this week, just one person a week. Invite one person a week to come and hear the word of the Lord. Our Father, we call upon you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for your precious word. We thank you that you are God and there is none else. We are thankful that Jesus is your son, that he is the Messiah, that you sent him into the world to become our substitute, to die in our place, to have our sins charged to his account, and then through faith to give us his righteousness so that we stand before you without fault. We stand before you not guilty. We stand before you acquitted. We stand before you even more than just forgiven. But we are redeemed and we stand in the Lord Jesus Christ with a perfect righteousness. How we praise you for your great salvation wherewith you have redeemed us. And I pray, Father, that you'll raise up a generation of believers that will be bold in the faith, bold to witness of the Lord Jesus Christ, not ashamed of the gospel, reaching out to others who are lost. They may too come to worship him whom to know is life eternal. We ask these things in his name and for his sake. Amen. Let's sing our little song and I'll let you go. Under the blood of Jesus. Under the blood of Jesus. Safe in the shepherd's fold. 
under the blood of Jesus, by the ages old, of the world make bright, of the stars grow dim, under the blood May the Lord bless you and make you perfect in every good work, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, I pray for his sake. You're dismissed. Thank you. Thank you.